So grace to you and peace from the creative God who called us into being, the Christ who once lived among us and the spirit who lives among and within us still. Probably around maybe 6.15 or 6.30, I got up this morning, got my shovel and was clearing the driveway and I had this revelation. This is the revelation that I had. So I knew that Josh was a remarkably good preacher but I figured this morning he was also an amazing prophet because he knew what the weather would be like this weekend. <laughs> and he knew it was safe to ask me, who moved here from Bloomington, Minnesota, to show up on Sunday morning and preach because he knew I'd find the gear in my closet and was used to driving through tundra. So, let me begin by calling to mind, if you've ever watched this show, a little ditty they used to sing on Sesame Street. Now, I went through two rounds of Sesame Street. I have a sister who's 14 years younger than I am, and so I would put it on with her to keep her amused when my mother tasked me with caring for Michelle. And then about a decade, a little more than a decade later, Barb and I had children, and they would watch it. One of the things that used to appear was this little thing called one of these things is not like the other. Three of these things are kind of the same. And that was true for all that they did on Sesame Street. It's also true if you open up. I'm going to double mic you. I'll shout. It was also true if you open up the New Testament. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kind of the same. John, absolutely not. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you a reading from the Gospel of John, which will surprise you when I tell you that it's about the call of the disciples. And if you think of the call of the disciples, you're expecting fishing, correct? Boats, Jesus going out and naming these people. It's not like that in John at all. In John, Jesus doesn't recruit people. John the Baptist sends him people. And those people then drag other people in. So reading from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, the 35th verse, in the Common English Bible, it begins, The next day John was standing again, that's John the Baptist, with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Now one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. They all know each other. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, 
Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Now, I wanted to make this next line fit you, but as an outsider, I wasn't sure what town to use. But last week, I listened to Kathy Brenz, and I knew what town to use. So what Nathaniel says is, can anything good come from Geneva? He really said Nazareth, but Kathy said that you folks in St. Charles just sort of don't like that town, so I'll use it. So Philip responds, come and see so Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here's a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe me because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth on the human one. Here ends the reading. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, you will never meet her, but Audrey Nankaville loved Christmas. She loved Christmas so much, she took an entire room of her house and devoted it to Christmas with a tree and lights and ornaments and little knickknacks and all kinds of things spread everywhere. She loved Christmas. And I first saw that room in July. So she left that room up all year long. For Audrey, the Christmas season never ended. Now, Audrey is no longer with us, but I think of her every year when I see the Grinch who stole Christmas and remind myself that Audrey was the anti-Grinch. She loved this season, and so it never ended. It's ended, I suspect, for all of you. Now, we begin with Advent, the four weeks before. Then we have Christmas. That runs for 12 days. That's why we have that song. It ends on Epiphany, January 6th, the coming of the Magi. If you have friends who are Orthodox Christians or from Latin America, that's when they actually celebrate Christmas and give gifts and enjoy that festivity. But then it's over. At my house, Christmas ends January 1st. On January 1st, Barb gets up, has some coffee, and then starts taking all the ornaments off the tree. And then we tilt it, I take the stand off the bottom, I take it outside, I throw it in the front, wait for it to be picked up. She then takes everything down in the house. I don't end it quite so early as that. My playlist with Christmas songs runs through the 6th, and then I stop. I stopped. I don't remember when the city of St. Charles stops celebrating Christmas, but I was part of their official ending because I was heading south and then heading out of town, and the traffic was stopped on Main Street. I don't know if you were there that morning, but the city trucks were taking all the trees off the poles, and so I knew that St. Charles said, it's over now, we're done. We ended here last week. Josh took us from the birth of Bethlehem into the temple to where Jesus is dedicated and Simeon and Anna announce who he is and rejoice and then offer the words of warning 
and then we're finished. And then we start the season of Epiphany. The season of Epiphany, the word literally means showing forth or revealing, runs from now until Lent begins. And so Jesus begins to show himself forth in ministry. Now, if you've been in church a long time, it won't bother you. However, if you're new and you just finished Christmas and you just finished the coming of the Magi or Jesus going to the temple and you come to church this Sunday, boom, he's a full-blown adult. We've missed the entire growing up. And that's because we don't know anything about that save two stories. Josh read one last week and Luke gives us another one. Jesus is in the temple with his parents celebrating Passover. They leave to go home and he stays. They're in a crowd. They are neglectful parents. They don't know that he's not there. And then they go back looking for him and we get to this line. After three days, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Now, I like that story because it demonstrates that Jesus is a normal kid. He's asking questions. If you've had small children, they ask you lots of why questions, some of which you can answer and some of which you scratch your head. And if you're wise, you correctly say, I don't know. At this point, he's an adolescent. He's asking worse questions, questions that are harder to answer and that often are accusatory and asking you to justify why you do what you do, which is probably what's happening in the temple. We see him this morning still asking questions at the hallmark of his ministry, and he asks two. The first one is, what are you looking for? The second is, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? That first question, what are you looking for, is my text for this morning. Because frankly, I have never sat under a fig tree. But I've often asked myself, what are you looking for? You perhaps have as well. In our house, we store things in the basement, Kleenex, toilet paper, canned goods. I go down to get them. When I get downstairs, I usually ask myself, what am I looking for? And so I've got this technique. What I do when I leave is recite to myself, you're after Kleenex, you're after Kleenex. And I say that all the way downstairs and then I get the Kleenex. And then maybe the laundry was going. So I'll set the Kleenex down and I'll start dealing with the laundry and then I'll go back upstairs with the laundry and Barb will say, where's the Kleenex? And I'll say, oh yeah, because I was distracted. All of us are distracted. We're distracted mostly when we go online, intentionally. People know us. They pay really smart people lots and lots of money to know how to distract us when we go online. And they want to show us what they think we're looking for. And they're really good at it because I suspect, like me, you go online thinking you're going to answer an email. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at how much would those walking shoes actually cost me? And I don't go on the email because I forgot that's why I went there. And then I'll remember five minutes later and go back, and then they're selling me something else. What are you looking for? 
it's an important question. Jesus asks it of the disciples. And it's an interesting kind of question because there really isn't any one answer. All of us have to decide what we're looking for, and it may change, and we have to think. But 75 years ago, an old commentator that I read from time to time, William Barclay, riffed on that question a bit because he knew, and it's still true, that maybe they weren't looking for what Jesus had to offer. And so he says, Jesus asked this question, and he wants to know this about them. So were they people who were Pharisees, legalists, looking for clever conversations about little details of the law? If they were, he's not what they're looking for. Were they the time servers who were looking for a place in power, who wanted to make money, who wanted to work in the temple in Jerusalem? If so, he's not what they were looking for. Were they nationalists? Were they looking for a demagogue, someone to lead them who would smash the people who are in power now and let them take over, like the zealots? If so, he's not what they're looking for. Were they people of prayer and waiting and quiet? He's talking about the Essenes living out in the desert, pulling themselves away from all that they thought was evil. If so, he's not what they're looking for. Were they the disciples of John the Baptist? Here, some of them were. And you may know from reading the other Gospels and Acts that after John is dead, his disciples still stay together, have their own little movement. They're active for a while. If so, Jesus is not what they're looking for. And then he has this sort of winsome line. Or were they simply puzzled, bewildered people? who, as you said at the beginning of church, are mixtures of good and evil, who know what we're doing and don't? Are they people such as that who are looking for the road of life and some wisdom and some forgiveness from God? And if so, he was what they were looking for. Now, Jesus doesn't appeal to everybody. And Kat Benakis, who I have not met, but was a rector at an Episcopal church in Evanston, writing for the Christian Century maybe five or six years ago about this passage, said, my favorite part about this is Jesus isn't actually what they were looking for. After all, Nathaniel will tell you right up front, he's from Nazareth, Geneva. That's not what I had in mind. I was looking for someone else. But something about him changed things. And so he stuck around for a while, but at least in the other three Gospels, and for the most part in John, at the end of Jesus' life, he's not what they're looking for either, because they don't show up at the cross. They weren't looking for someone who ended that way. So what is it? that you are looking for? That's always a useful question. I use it when I begin interim ministry. With a congregation, I don't ask it in quite that way, but later on I tell them, yes, I am. What I ask them are two questions. What brought you here, 
and what kept you here. What brought you here is how folks were attracted. And that may not be the same for the other people in your community now. But it worked for you then. What was that? What keeps you here? Something is here that you're looking for that feeds you, and so you come back. So this morning, I think we're going to have coffee out there. If you're bored, you can talk to each other about what it is you were looking for and what it is you found here, and that's worth noting. If you're leaving and you don't have remote start on your vehicle, when you're waiting for your car to warm up, you can ask yourself that question as well. And I'll tell you that it's worth asking multiple times because usually your first answer is not the correct one. What is it that brought you, what are you looking for in this place? So I'm gonna talk about me. And I'll tell you it was a mixed bag. So I wanna start off by you thinking that I have wonderful motives. So I'm going to tell you that I came here because I wanted to worship God. And that's true. I also came here because I'm a UCC clergy person looking to ply my trade. And to be a UCC clergy person, I need to have UCC standing. And to have UCC standing, I need to belong to a UCC church in the conference in which I live. I came here for that reason as well. What was I looking for? I was looking for a place to worship God. And I was looking for a place to find new people. Because we had just left the Minneapolis area. And we've moved down here to be with our children and our grandchildren and to be as helpful as they would let us be and to get out of their hair when we needed to. And I needed some people to be with when I was not pestering my family. And I found some. What was I looking for? I was looking for a chance to worship God and also to study. Not to have to teach classes, but to take them. So I joined two of your study groups, one on Tuesday afternoon, one on Saturday morning. What was I looking for? I was looking for a place to worship God, but also for a place to be involved in some justice work, in some community work. And so I signed up, I was talking to Wyoming this morning, to take part in night ministry. I never did. I never did because that particular time, it was canceled. We had this interesting thing happen. We call it COVID. And COVID meant that ended. It meant I was no longer going to groups here in the afternoon. I also then took my first interim position. But I stayed with the group on Saturday morning. Some of them I met maybe two times or three times in person but because for the most part, I was not in DeKalb on Saturday morning. I stayed with that group, and I got to know those particular folks, mostly in little laptop boxes. And some of them, I don't think I've ever really seen in person. But if I see their head, I know who they are. And that's true for others of us, I think, as well. What was I looking for? All those things, but what I really found and what I know I was really looking for was grace. 
because most of us don't encounter Jesus in person. We encounter Jesus in a mediated form through other people. And I found grace and kindness in an ongoing nature every Saturday morning for years. I will confess I found grace and kindness in DeKalb as well, and that's what made me work there and return here and plan to stay here. That's what it was I was looking for, and I was delighted to find it. Now, I know full well that this church is not perfect. The reason I know it's not perfect is that you would let me join it. But nevertheless, this is a place where we can be together and share that sort of grace, knowing that it's really God's grace and God's kindness that allows us to work together, to make mistakes together, to admit that we made mistakes together, to work at fixing those mistakes together, and to be about that community that is, we keep describing as a place of worship and a place of welcome and a place of justice. Amen.